This is the Mulligans Podcast, a real estate podcast focused on the duo. We created this podcast to share the stories of real estate individuals who have built their business from the ground up or have lost everything and are working to get it back. I'm Hayden Wright. I'm Austin Cole. And And we we are your hosts. On today's episode, we have Brian Ponell. Brian started real estate investing in multifamily properties about two months after he started getting into real estate, after he started educating himself, and he got into a 138-unit apartment building. So he's going to talk a little bit about that and the mindset behind getting into such a big asset so quickly. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here tonight, guys. Absolutely. Um, if you could just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so Brian Ponell down here in Houston, Texas. I'm married with two kids. One's uh, four months old. So if I've got wow. bags under the eyes, that, that <laughs> explains that. Um, I'm an oil and gas uh, reservoir engineer by background. So I got a petroleum engineering degree from Texas A&M. And about a year ago, uh, stumbled upon uh, this asset class of multifamily and really fell in love with the investing strategy and and the people involved in the industry um, and and really dove right in, which we'll get into today. Uh, Recently closed on a deal in Austin, Texas uh, for about, uh, let's call it round number 20 million. And last year also got invested in something like 1100 doors uh, as an LP uh, some senior living, uh, mes debt, a variety of things, and really kind of dove headfirst on, on the passive side as well into uh, commercial real estate. Wow. Okay. So backing up a little bit, how did you get into real estate? You said you started to fall in love with the asset class, but what brought you to it? Yeah, it was a conversation uh, with uh, a gentleman uh, up in Denver that's in oil and gas that raises money for some of the syndications and him and I uh, made an introduction around uh, Thanksgiving of 2020 uh, through that, you know, conversation uh, was interested enough that I downloaded the book of my Kindles. We headed out over to my in-laws over Thanksgiving. It was the ABCs of real estate. Fantastic, easy read. Uh, anybody can read it in a weekend. And that really opened my eyes to this idea that real estate to me previously had always been, um, you know, fix and flip and, getting your hands dirty, taking calls from, you know, tenants in a, in a rental house. And this really instead kind of pivoted that whole idea on its head and, and opened my eyes. So it's a business. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really care what a properties to a degree, right? Like the, the tenant base, et cetera. It's like, what's your net operating income and you're going to get paid, you know, for that cash flow. And so can you improve that cash flow through increasing revenue or decreasing expenses? And so, that spoke to like the businessman, uh, you know, in my background. Sweet. And th- you said uh, your first deal was it being a limited partner? Or was your first deal a general partner? Yeah. So you know, really, it's a little unusual. I feel like you know, went from knowing nothing about real estate and, and until I read that book uh, and no experience over Thanksgiving, and about a month and a half later, kind of dove in uh, on both sides, stood up an LLC to start pursuing active. Uh, deals, but also concurrently uh, kept an eye out for passive opportunities. Um, not so much from a standpoint of um, educating myself, although you know maybe for the first month or so that happened. But really, my belief in the asset class, I wanted to diversify our personal portfolio into some 
other uh, sponsors deals. So you move pretty quickly from, you know, being introduced to real estate into, you know, actually taking your first steps towards your first property. What led to that, uh, that, that quick transition? You know, a lot of people would mess around, read a few books, study for a year and then get into it. But what, what helped go into it so quickly? Yeah. And, you know, to your point about reading books and taking the time to educate yourself, that's always a smart thing. You know, my mantra is there's no reason to not be able to do both. I, I think you can educate yourself on the job. If, you know, if I look at my oil and gas career, I've learned more on the job over the last 10 years than I did in many, many hours in college. It's just totally different when you're actually, you know, doing what you're training or learning how to do. And so, I believe the most effective way, to, uh, whether it's multifamily or other industry, is just align yourself with partners that have more experience, be hungry to learn, and you can educate yourself as, as you go along. But um, I just had conviction that it was an asset class I wanted to be involved in with my skill set. And so I saw no reason to wait, and, you know, time's of the essence and, and jumped right in. Right. Well, that's great. I, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting that you jumped straight for multifamily. You didn't, you know, take the traditional path of wholesaling or flipping a house or single family, even um, just went for the, went for the multifamily, which most people build up to. So um, it's awesome that you were able to jump right into that and have some success with it. So that first property, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's a workforce housing in Austin, Texas, uh, Northeast central, depending on how you want to define the submarket, but it's really kind of the outskirts of this Mueller redevelopment that's occurred in Austin the last uh, few years. And for folks down here in Texas that go through there, there's been a ton of um, redevelopment in that area. Uh, Dell Children's Hospital, some you know beautiful Class A brand new apartments, hospitality, um, bars, restaurants, et cetera. And so we're probably three, four minutes from a kind of the epicenter of that. Um, there's a new Class A building going up against our if you're looking at the property, uh, our right fence. And so that's been a really positive note to have uh, a major developer plant their flag right there. You know, the property, our property was built in two stages in 69 and 83. So like I mentioned, it's, you know, different demographic than that brand new build will be going for. And so we're riding the wave in Austin. Um, you know, this property also needs um, some love. I mean, it was, uh, there's a fire building. And so that's a, a little hair that we're addressing and, and rebuilding. That's nine units. Um, outside of that, that was hundred percent occupied, but it definitely needs some um, interior and exterior renovations. So we've got about a three and a half million dollar CapEx budget uh, on, on that property. And were you the one that found the deal or did somebody else uh, uh, like a partner find it? Yeah. So yeah, around that, you know, so I mentioned reading that book. So probably Jan Feb was spending talking to brokers on their sponsors, getting the lay of the land. And this was one of the brokers uh, list that I was able to get on. Uh, we toured one or two deals earlier in the spring with him um, that didn't work out. And then uh, this specific deal worked out. I partnered with one other gentleman here in Houston uh, to look at this specific deal. And then we went 50, 50 on the earnest money and, you know, a lot of the, the, the work on the LOI and, and PSA, et cetera, and put them under contract brought on a third uh, gentleman to help um, asset management uh, and then brought on a few equity partners after that. Very cool. So, uh, you know, most people struggle, especially starting out, getting people, especially brokers to take them serious. I mean, how, how did you go about that? I think one, you know, you should always be truthful. And so being 
open to what I didn't know and, um, you know, explain that my background in large oil and gas deals. And so why I felt confident that I'd be able to turn through a lot of deals to uh, quick responsiveness to the brokers. And so, you know, if, if there was a deal that was sent over, trying to get them some type of feedback um, in a few days. Uh, and then three is just aligning yourself with partners. So it is hard, uh, although I'd like to say it's not, but it is hard right now in this competitive environment to just say, Hey, I'm brand new and you're going to go compete against 10 or 15 other offers. So I, I think it's communicate. It's on you to communicate to the broker that you've got relationships with other people in the industry, whether you're the deal team and you're going to bring on experienced, an experienced KP and someone to help you with asset management or on the equity side, but it's just making sure they feel confident that, Hey, this isn't somebody that has no idea what they're doing. That if, they, if I do award them this deal, that they will be able to execute and, and close. And I know you, so this was within what, a few months of when you first got started, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We, we had the, I was in Charleston and at the first week of June. So and I started probably underwriting deals the first week of February. So four or five months. All right. And then, so how many deals do you think you went through before you finally got this one? Like how about many deals did you underwrite? Wow. About 105. Now, okay. So be fair, since you're the numbers guy, I didn't underwrite <laughs> all those, but okay. uh, when I say look, you know, looked at 100, 105, I mean, that was at least putting in the T12 and rent roll and seeing what the numbers were looking mm-hmm. like. It wasn't doing back in that. I mean, it was right. probably spending at least 20 minutes on the deal. Right. Right. So, and, and I don't know if we've asked this, but how big was the deal? How many units was it? 138 units. Wow. Okay. And, and how did you go about financing it? You kind of mentioned that uh, you brought in some equity partners. Yeah. You know, and uh, because the SEC regulations, they were equity partners and also handling some other responsibilities. Uh, one of the gentlemen was uh, helped out on some of the investor relations and continues to uh, right now. And the other, we've got boots on the ground in Austin. So they're helping out with uh, visiting the property. But um, yeah, so just typical um, syndication was a 506B. And so we decided to just go to our uh, investor contacts that we already had established relationships with. And then on the debt side, um, as, as you probably know, and, and some of the listeners may or may not know, 2021 especially was a, a great year for bridge lenders. Um, you know, a lot, most people you talked to weren't using agency debt during 2021. And so we were no different. We got you know, a really attractive bridge loan. It's, you know, three years with uh, two one-year extension options uh, with a really established group that does you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions uh, of that type of debt that are, uh, is headquartered out of Baltimore. That's great. And how long do you plan to hold the property for? Yeah, so our, our pitch to investors is the typical five years. Um, you know, with the heavier uh, value add and, and CapEx, we fully intend to refi. We conservatively underwrote that at the end of year three. I believe you could see that, you know, at the end of year two. Um, really, uh, for us, the reason why we uh, felt refi has got to be the business plan is, is those nine down units. I mean, you're literally adding you know, 8%, 9% of your units right. back uh, here in the first year. So we'll get that done, um, you know, executing a lot of these renovations, refi. But quite frankly, with how, you know, on fire Austin is at that time, we'll, we'll likely need to, you know, take a look at uh, opportunities if, if they come across the desk to uh, sell the asset and have those conversations with the investors. But you know, Austin, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. And so personally, I would love to hold on to the deal for, you know, five years or more. Right. I agree. So uh, I guess 
we could jump into, you know, 138 units is rather large for somebody who's never done a deal before. What made you go with <laughs> that size compared to like, I don't know, jumping into a 25 unit? Yeah. Um, it kind of goes back to what Hayden mentioned at the start of the conversation, which was I, I skipped all the, you know, wholesaling or, or single family buying flip and, Really, again, that probably just goes back to that book and what made me passionate about it, which was the whole, okay, it's a small business, but beyond that, the economies of scale, and that's huge in the oil and gas business. Um, the companies that can build kinds of scale are the ones that are uh, you know, generating the best uh, cash flow and returns for their shareholders. And so for me, I, you know, the more and more I read and all these people that had gotten to where one day it'd be you know, set your eyes on that. And these really successful syndicators, almost every single one of them, their advice was just skip that first step of, you know, building up a single family portfolio and you keep reading, okay, 80 units, 90 units, 100 units, wherever that breakover is where you can have an onsite property manager is kind of the, you know, the economy, the first economy of scale. And so to me, I'm sitting there in January, I said, okay, in the next 12 to 18 months, I want to find a hundred plus unit property. And so that's what I really set my eyes on. I didn't look at anything smaller than probably 75 or 80 units and, and just strictly looked at hundred plus. Um, I think there's something to be said though, for, you know, some of your listeners out there that want to go smaller and want to take a, a different approach. You know, if, if you're someone that wants to get into the direct to seller, now that's a whole different ballgame. I've just, I've never looked at that because it's probably going to have a much uh, lower success rate and hit rate on these larger properties, but that's a whole nother niche. For me, I just decided I wanted to focus big right away and I'd give myself 12 to 18 months. And uh, if I wasn't able to hit, then I'd reassess. Gotcha. So it sounded like you mentioned towards the beginning of this, that you just acquired another property as well. Is that correct? No, it must've misunderstood. Maybe, no, maybe so, we sent, okay. sent a $35 million deal this morning. That'd be good. And I'll check my email afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so are you guys uh, looking for other properties right now? Or are you just focused on stabilizing this one? And getting this yeah, one up. No, definitely. I, I would like to continue the momentum and, and grab another property or two this year at, at that size. So call it another, you know, 20 to 40 million. Um, at the same time, wow. definitely um, want to stay focused on delivering the returns for our investors. Uh, but, you know, with, with me working a W2 job, you know, some of my partners that are more experienced are definitely taking on some of the heavier asset management and, and construction management. Gotcha. Well, perfect. Well, we'll go ahead and get into the next segment of the show, which is questions from a cup. So we pull questions from this year cup and you answer them. So I like it. Question number one. Um, what is your craziest real estate story? Craziest real estate story. Well, there's only really one property. So <laughs> unless we start talking about my, my single family home, that's, that'd be pretty boring. Um, uh you know, I think I was telling somebody else this a, a few weeks back, but, uh, you know, we, we paid for two extensions in our, uh, in our PSA to be able to, you know, extend, uh, the, the contract period. And we had written down the date wrong and missed the, the uh, wire on the first extension. And so that created a really long weekend of no sleep. Um, Austin's on fire seller you know, completely wanted out. Um, luckily we were able to get together with, with their team and their legal counsel and ours and, and work something out where we just dropped a second extension, but it's always something you, you got to just prepare for some stress. And that was a sleepless weekend for sure. Gotcha. Uh, question number two, do you have a controversial real estate opinion? 
Hmm. Controversial real estate opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think the majority of returns you see out there promised today are probably overestimated. And I get, you know, I'll say that because we've had astronomical growth in the last six to 12 months, and people are assuming that's the new baseline. And cap rates have moved so fast, and, and there's most groups are still just assuming, you know, call it 50 basis point expansion over five years, but it could easily go back just as fast. And so you think I don't know how. I mean, you see that the, the we're, you know, the, we're recording today on January 26. They had the Fed meeting today. Treasuries are hitting 1.9%. So you're going to have some you know, pressure from interest rates. I'm not saying cap rates. I, I think there's such a bullish supply demand case for good markets here in the US. Um, I just think you can't take this 10, 15, 20% rent growth that's happened in some of these markets over the last few months. Use that as your baseline. Assume another 5, 10% on top of that. And uh, you know, low cost of capital and everything else. There's just really nothing that can go wrong for you at that point to deliver on the returns people are promising. Gotcha. So knowing that, how do you conservatively underwrite, um, you know, assuming that that is not the baseline? Yeah, I still personally find it hard um, to underwrite anything beyond say, you know, three, 4% rent growth. If you're going to under underwrite uh, even, you know, somewhere around 4%, I think you need to have some co-star, real page, you already, you know, support behind you um, and probably would then decrease it over time. Um, talk to a PM, see what they're comfortable underwriting and, uh, you know, supporting for a, a five-year plan. Um, on the interest rate, you know, some of these models that are available publicly and people use, um, only use a fixed rate, you should build in a you know, most of the debt that's getting done right now is floating. So build in a, a LIBOR or SOFR curve. So if you look at today's rates, you know, the month one might be called a quarter percent, but that, that curve is expanding to two or two, you know, above 2% over time. And people aren't really thinking through that. They might just say, okay, I've got a floating rate of three and a half. I'm going to call it four or four and a half, right? I mean, that thing's going to go above five over time, which is going to hurt your cash out in future years. All right. That's a great point. Okay, third and final question. What is your least favorite real estate activity? Construction management. Really? Being on being on property. So it's it's funny. It's similar to oil and gas. Like I'm a reservoir engineer, which is really an office engineer at the end of the day. Um, and it's very similar to real estate. Like love talking to the brokers, love going on site and talking to our property management team. But you do not want me to be the guy walking around talking about the HVACs or the plumbing or, or the roofs. Like that is just not my uh, niche. You know, my dad, if he was here, would probably tell you I was I was never one to watch him fix things. I always kind of you know <laughs> ran away to go shoot baskets or something. So uh, definitely anything that has to do with the physical nature of uh, this asset class, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I feel that as well. I mean, I I would always watch my dad fix stuff, but he gets irritated pretty quickly and it would take over. Uh, so I just hold the flashlight and uh, now I'm here and uh, not too great at uh, anything construction related. So thanks, dad. But uh, we'll go ahead and get to the next segment of the show. Austin, you want to take this one over? Yep. So this section we call your mulligan section. So in all of your investment career, what is your mulligan? What is the one thing you would want to redo? Uh, some of these tech stocks it would be having, you know, conviction around the Amazons and Googles and, and putting a larger percent of, of the portfolio into that. And so, 
you know, I think that can play into the real estate discussion from a standpoint of if you've got high conviction around uh, a specific property or, or, you know, for stocks, specific couple of stocks, um, then it's worth putting larger bets on that um, versus, you know, you drop a few thousand dollars into a real estate deal or into an equity and uh, it's not going to move your portfolio enough. So uh, do you have like a system in place now to prevent that from happening? Like, uh, you know, looking forward to diversifying your assets and stuff? I'm, I'm the type of guy that takes a mulligan at the golf course and then just shanks the next one worse. <laughs> I'll, probably, I'll, I'll probably shank the next, uh, the next stock as bad. No, in all honesty, uh, although that's a regret and a mulligan at the same time, uh, speaking, going back to that conviction comment, I, I feel like I would need to spend time to have the conviction to actually make a large bet. And I just mm-hmm. don't have the time or have decided not to spend that type of time. So I, when it comes to equity markets, I'm purely a, a diversification ETF type holder. Um, you know, maybe S and P 500, and it's slanted towards uh, value or growth, or you know, a specific uh, uh, approach. Sweet. All right, and then the last question in this segment is for those in the audience wanting to be where you are now. What is a piece of advice you would give them, and what should they do first? Yeah, uh, I'm going to say two things. One is find others to learn from that you can bring value to. I I don't think anything really can beat that. So, uh, you know, if you look here at Hayden and Austin, find someone that complements your skill set, you know, a numbers person, somebody that wants to talk to the brokers, investors, et cetera. Um, If you're just starting out and you want to try to grab a deal in the first 12 to 18 months, figure out what you're passionate about and then go uh, network and and find those that uh, you could bring that value to because they'll bring you further than you could go alone. Um, and then the second piece is just work tirelessly at it. Uh, most people that are probably trying to start out or work in a, uh, another job or, um, you know, have families, you know, have other hobbies and you just got to buckle up and work, work your butt off and, and get after and be passionate about it. That's awesome. So moving into the last segment here, Brian, we really appreciate you jumping on the show. Um, but what is one thing that you would like people to know about you that we didn't have the chance to talk about today? Ran my first marathon, uh, in November. How did that go? And I hit a absolute wall at mile (laughs) 20. So hopefully that is not a, uh, analogy for the real estate journey. (laughs) I did the same thing when I ran a marathon. (laughs) Yeah. 20 had to walk. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's a long, um, it's a long last six miles at you, a lot of soul searching, uh, a lot of cussing. Don't remember. I don't remember a lot of it, but, um, it was on the ground cramped up a couple of times, like a football player. So Jeez. That, yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be the thing that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know, um, decided to go for it, do my first full since having a baby and closing this deal wasn't enough new things in my plate <laughs> and, uh, hit, hit an absolute wall. So that was a journey. Is there another one in your future? You know, I was going, that's funny you asked, I was, I was telling my wife, it's like very competitive. So I, hey, I want to go grab that time I was aiming for and go run this one in the Woodlands in March. And I think I just got so burnt out by that. I haven't run much in like the last two months. So unlikely. No, I gotcha. How did you prepare for that first one? I mean, I guess what would you have done differently for that? Just curious because we're both runners. So I was just. Yeah. I mean, pro- probably, honestly, it was like the intangibles, not the actual training. I mean, I did 
for a 16 to 20 week program, followed a, a pretty, you know, laid out program. Um, so it's probably like the intangibles of sleep and eating. Mm. Uh, like I said, we had the new kids. So it was some restless nights for the last couple of months. And, um, I told myself I was going to stop like, uh, having any alcohol for like the, the last month before. And then I was like, okay, no alcohol during the week. And, you know, just <laughs> think, things like that. Um, and so, uh, I, and then the last thing was I, I hurt my calf about, um, five, six weeks out and I didn't run for about two or three weeks. So that put a big oh, damper yeah. into the training. I was getting needle treatment and all this other stuff. Nobody's really interested in, but Man. basically if we tie it back to real estate, the analogy <laughs> is don't go, out, don't go out too fast. Cause you can hit a wall and, uh, <laughs> and always have, you know, a team to support you. Cause when I was out there by myself at mile 23, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was lonely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, marathons are tough. Cause you make one mistake on not getting enough fluids in during the race or not enough, uh, protein or carbs and per se, you don't want protein. Uh, it'll mess you up on the back end of the race. <laughs> yeah. It was seventies in San Antonio. It was freaking, you know, they call it Hill country for a reason. I found out it was, uh, it was oh, a gosh. rough race. So you did your first marathon in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah that was, man, nice. yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. Uh, question number two. So what are you looking for right now and how can our audience help you with that? Yeah. So extremely competitive, uh, market, like we talked about earlier, looking for a deal. Uh, if somebody, you know, has a deal that they want, uh, some asset management and, and equity help with more than willing to talk to you. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a seller of a property or, or a broker, please also reach out. We're looking for, I'd say the sweet spots, probably 10 to $30 million type properties over hundred units. Uh, with a value add component. We've uh, been primarily focused down here in the major markets in Texas. And you can reach me at uh, New Day Capital. So it's www.newdayinv.com. Perfect. Austin, you want to take the last one? Well, you already said it. You, where can people find out more about you? Is there another? Uh, <laughs> you had a, is that the best way? Instagram or is that your best? Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, Brian Ponell on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, we'll say we can get, we can give out one of these new day capital, uh, units to whoever brings the most value. On the, oh, yeah. There we go. There we go. All right. That's, well, a, Austin, that's a, let the audience know that's a name brand Yeti too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not an Arctic or anything, uh, cheap. Uh, well, Brian, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, I think you've provided us and our listeners a ton of value. So we really appreciate it. Good luck, guys. Yeah, good luck in your journey. I'm sure you guys are going to crush it. It was a lot of fun tonight. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. We hope you gained something from today's episode and put it into action right away. Please make sure to share, subscribe, and review our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram and TikTok at mulligans underscore underscore. This helps us to grow and share more great stories. My name is Austin Cole. I'm Hayden Wright. Signing Signing off. off.